0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Jerome and Kevin Presents Uh, Tonight we are going to be discussing the second season of the HBO show Barry, of course, starring Bill Hader My name is Jerome Cuson, you can find me on Twitter at JeromeC1985 Please leave four or five star reviews on your favorite podcasting platform So people uh, can discover the great work that is going on here on this podcasting network uh, that includes, of course, going in back into the archives, Kevin Ford and I have discussed such shows as Veronica Mars, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Halt and Catch Fire. Uh, Kevin on his own has discussed Lost and Adventure Time. And of course, I have been discussing superhero stuff for the last year and I'm really burned out and don't want to talk about superhero stuff for a long time. Anyway... My co-host, of course, is Kevin Ford. Kevin has uh, been a co-author of many podcasts that I just mentioned, talking about a number of different projects. But tonight, Kevin, we are here to talk about the second and to this point, last season, there will be more of Barry season two. Kevin, are you excited to get into this second season and uh, go over the shenanigans that, uh, that Bill Hader
1: is uh, putting forth? Most certainly excited. I really enjoyed season one. So I was happy we got into season two right away. And I do feel like I owe a PSA to our listeners uh, as, as I thought. So I just want to let you know, this is not the case. Barry is not short for Beryl, okay? Barry, not short for Beryl. Just just throwing that out there.
0: I mean, why would you ever make that assumption? I've never once in my life heard someone called Berald before.
1: Well, you know, there's Harry short for Harold. So I figured, you know, Barry short for barreled.
0: What, 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 what act of sorcery is this?
1: I just want to give a PSA to our listeners, Jerome. And you are being judgmental. And I think that's not fair
0: forget uh, you so you're going to give a PSA about a name but you're not going to give a PSA about all the murder and abusive situations that we're going to be discussing over the course of the next hour
1: I suppose that would have been the right thing to do because Beryl is not a real name and nobody in the history of the world ever thought that but there's possibly people who would have issues with murder or abuse uh, in situations spousal and otherwise but Fine. I, I guess you, your point has been made. Let's 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 move forward into Barry season two with that disclaimer in mind.
0: All right. So the one thing I will say is, so there are a couple of new characters, but they are not overly important, and we can get into them as we get into uh, the show. So a lot of the cast of characters uh, remain in uh, the same positions that they were from season one. Um, unfortunately, we do, we will be dealing uh, with a, a pretty important death. Uh, Throughout the second season. But before we get into that, Kevin, I want to point out to you. So the first two episodes of the show, they they did okay in the ratings, they got about 500,000 people. And then there was a dramatic and when I say dramatic, I'm talking about uh, tripling their audience tripling the audience which is pretty extraordinary they literally went from getting a 0.424 to 1.78 million in one week why such a leap kevin ford of course game of thrones final season start started and i know that that is something that everybody was really happy about everybody really loving the final season of game of Thrones. And then they had this wonderful show to turn into after that.
1: It, it is, it speaks to the power of game of Thrones in general, but I think it also speaks to what you talked about in Barry season one in that the Sunday nights for HBO was as close to appointment television as we were getting in the streaming digital age. And it's because it, it's just so surprising to me that so many people would have stuck around for what came after Game of Thrones in general, just because I think with content being more disposable and people being on their own schedules, that just wouldn't be the case. But as we're talking about with Game of Thrones and John Oliver and the other shows that get there, there was a, obviously, as the, the numbers prove it, a real significant bump from being in that time slot of being just attached to Game of Thrones in that way. So that is really remarkable to see that. I would have expected some change in viewership and uptick, but that is really astonishing.
0: And there were a couple of other episodes that did over two million people because uh, the the more that they got into that final season, the more that people watched. And it's uh, it's it's pretty fascinating just to think about uh, where Barry kind of fits into the pecking order of HBO. It's clearly an important show. They're bringing it back for a season three, perhaps even a season four Having it air after Game of Thrones, I think, also speaks um, to what they want from this show, and they want it to be a, a significant deal. And uh, Bill Hader deserves it because Bill Hader is great, and I think that it, it, even 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 in season one, I think he is he is of course an important figure. But in season two, he is even more so because not only is he the star of the show. Uh, But he is and he ended up directing uh, some of the most important episodes from this season. And obviously, he has a lot to do with the creative, both as a producer and as a writer. So Bill Hader is just doing it all on this show.
1: Yeah, like we discussed, I mean, this has really been like his his pet project. He's involved in every single aspect of it. And that has to be so exhausting on so many levels. When you're writing episodes, directing episodes, you're the lead actor in the show itself Wearing so many hats, I I, I can't even fathom. I, it just it feels like you have to be totally immersed in the show at all times and being on set for the days when you're directing and acting and writing and all that other stuff has to be just so draining. But I think in a lot of ways it works out because the show has been so good for, the, for these first two seasons. And I think with Bill Hader, with him being so involved in all aspects of it, I think only – I just can't imagine aside from being burnt out it, that it wouldn't produce a much better show when you're involved in all stages of
0: it. And the one thing is, is that I would imagine that it is creatively exhausting, but you are in a situation where this is a half hour show. They're doing eight episodes. And I'm sure because of Bill Hader's involvement in so many aspects of the production, that that's why they're only doing eight episodes, 30 minutes a piece, because it would be, I, I, I would have to imagine doing even eight one hour episodes would be unsustainable at that point.
1: Sure. And I think the comedy genre in and of itself, I think is much strongest at, at a half hour pace. And I, I could not, I don't want to say I couldn't imagine the show being a full hour, but I think it wouldn't be as good at an hour. I think eight half hour episodes is the real sweet spot for Barry.
0: Yeah. I mean, I could probably make an argument that maybe it should have 10, but I certainly would not argue that the episodes should be an hour long, given given some of the intense ways that uh, these episodes end. And you mentioned hats. Speaking of hats, Kevin, uh, we're going to have to have a very important conversation. We've already had this through text, but uh, Hank has a lot of hats this year. And I think it's really important that we break down uh, his headgear.
1: I want to know who decided this at some point, just that he's going to have several pieces of headgear. Was that a choice made by back to place, Hank? Or was that something that just like Bill Hader, Alec Burke thought like, man, it would be really funny if he just had several different pieces of headwear through the season?
0: Because this isn't really something that happened during season one. And if it did, maybe I just didn't notice it. But in season two, it is really noticeable that he either has a wig on or he has a hat on.
1: Yeah, it, it's uh, if he did have certain hats in season when they went unnoticed, but with at least five different head headwear pieces in season two across eight episodes. You definitely noticed.
0: Alright, let's get into the season itself So the first episode is not directed by Bill Hader But it is directed by somebody else who has kind of made a name for themselves in recent years Directing episodes of Barry and Atlanta Hiro Morai, Kevin, I don't know if that name is familiar to you But uh, he direct- he's directed some of the very best episodes of Atlanta And uh, he's a very good director that I believe is going to get a feature of his own at some point uh, But he is very good
1: I I definitely recognize the name and I really like Atlanta too. So I, I I'm glad to see he's going to be getting more work and more independence because I think just between Barry and that show, he's proven himself to be quite the commodity. So that that's definitely something I'm going to keep my eyes open for.
0: All right. The first scene of the first episode, uh, Fuchs has a new person uh, doing jobs for him and He kind of looks like a knockoff Bill Hader and specifically designed to look like a Bill Hader knockoff. And, of course, uh, things go terribly, terribly wrong as he accidentally shoots himself while trying to open a safe. Uh, Apparently, he was given the wrong combination. Uh, When he gets back to the hotel, he gets shot. The person who did the hiring literally jumps out a window and on top of a car. And, of course, the police just start shooting people. Uh, I love this opening scene. Just the execution of it, um, it was it was almost cartoony in a way, and I think that this show really has to straddle a line between comedy and drama. And I think this, uh, I think for the most part, it works. I'll point out a couple places where it doesn't, but what a tremendous opening to season two! I really like this. I did
1: too, and it it goes to show that. Barry really is a specialist in this field is you can't just replace him with somebody else and have the same success you do. And I think that's what Fuchs is finding out the hard way.
0: Yes. I think one of the things that I really appreciate about this show is just how competent Barry is. And you see that over and over again, like when it comes to acting, he's he's middling at best, but when it comes to killing and killing adjacent things, uh, he is uh, very good. So Something else that I really like is it's very clear that uh, so, at least some time has passed between the end of the first season and the beginning of the second season, as evidenced by the opening scene, and Fuchs having a new person doing jobs for him. Uh, but Barry is also walking into the theater uh, in costume, and nobody else is in costume. Keen has had some sort of a nervous breakdown because of the unfortunate uh, murdering of Detective Janice Moss that happened at the end of season one. But at this point Gene does not know that Barry has is the one that committed this and uh, Kevin Barry Barry just wants to go back to normal like he just wants to live a normal life. He wants to not kill people. He wants to get into his crazy costume and just do a play. That's all he wants out of life.
1: Well, it's interesting to note here that it's it's a disappearance at this point is nobody knows she's dead except for Barry because obviously he did it. But yeah, it's really interesting and and funny in like a dark way to see that all these people in the theater are mourning because they feel bad for Gene, And they probably, you know, all of them had talked to Janice formally and informally as well. And Barry, it like you said, he's kind of hurriedly trying to move on to get this comedy stage play that himself, Sally, that him and Sally are heading up and everyone else is like, we need to like, kind of acknowledge this and process this and all that. And Barry's already done that. Cause he's the one who's admitted. It. I don't know if he wants to, move on for it for his mental sake, or he just wants to move on. So people don't pick up the scent and just move on from it as well. But it is a little bit dark seeing the difference between how quick he is to move on while everyone else is still rightfully and in a very human way, processing her death.
0: Meanwhile, things with uh know Hank and the rest of the partnership, uh, things seem to be going uh, decently well at this point. Unfortunately, there is a new wrinkle uh, that is being uh, proposed by Cristobal uh, they get into some discussion of Thomas Friedman, which I was not expecting on this show of all shows, um, and potentially sharing a stash house uh, with Esther. Esther is one of the new characters. Uh, Esther really doesn't talk a whole lot, but she is a, a an important figure. Uh, she is the Burmese gang leader, and the Bolivians want to bring her in, and uh, they want to just, you know, they want to share uh, the, 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 the stash house. And... They, they kind of want to just, you know, sell drugs together uh, as kind of a cohort of sorts. And and Kevin, you know, I am in favor of small businesses coming together and uh, and just p- bringing up the best possible business for people.
1: Yeah, all businesses, all of them.
0: All businesses, yes. Objectively, business is good. I
1: suppose that's one way of looking at it. I don't think Hank feels that way necessarily, especially when when Esther comes in, who... She definitely does not speak much, but definitely carries a large presence and is a big threat to Hank.
0: It's unfortunate that we don't get to know Esther a little bit more throughout the season, but when you have eight half hours, again, it's really hard to uh, develop all of the characters. Uh, So Barry does eventually find Jean gene at his house. And uh, it's at this point when Barry walks in, that the police are informing Jean that they are ending the search for detective Janice Moss. So uh, it's a, it's a pretty rough scene. So, Something that's really important about this season, even more so than the first one, is you get a lot of scenes of Barry talking with Gene. And this is really important because I think they're doing such a really, they do a really good job this season overall of just building up the relationship between these two characters. If, I mean, the first season, you know, Barry basically, he breaks up with Fuchs in a way. And in the second season, he's kind of, he's found kind of a new father figure uh, in his life and that is Gene. A couple aspects of the conversation that I wanted to point out is uh, Gene kind of talks about feeling suicidal, and it feels like this really important moment in the show because I think we've seen Gene as a very comedic figure, and yes, he is still that, but I think the second season, what I think is better about it is I think Gene and Sally specifically uh, feel a lot more human, and I, they feel more like full characters, not just reacting to Barry, but kind of having their own agency in a way that is good and healthy. That being said, I I almost died laughing at the photo of Gene, uh, in the Phantom of the Opera that was in the background of his of of the scene.
1: Yeah, the the background stuff is really great in this show. It's like little jokes that you may miss, and I'm sure they realize a lot of people miss it. But if you're the person who does see it, it adds a lot to to the scene and the tone. And that's something I really appreciate about that. And I'm, I'm also in agreement with them giving more agency and making more robust characters out of Sally and Gene in this season. Cause we talked about the very beginning of this, how there aren't a ton of new characters in the season. And I think what they decided on was instead of adding more characters was giving more characters that we'd already seen in season one more to do, or just fleshing out their backgrounds and making them more whole And I'm all in favor of that choice. And I think it really helped specifically Sally and Jean in this as well. And even later, dedicating a whole episode to Barry and Fuchs's relationship was really great, too. A a bit of a bold choice, but I think a really good one. And I think that that's at least just as a viewer, as a fan of the show, that's I without knowing it, that's. Really, what I wanted a season two, and that's what we got.
0: So the Chechnians are not happy that Hank did not really go after Goron's killer, uh, so they sent him a bullet. And you've heard of Chekhov's gun, Kevin? This is uh, the Chechen's bullet.
1: Yeah, good, a good placement here for what's coming. Circle back to it at the very end of the season.
0: So we uh, we return to the theater, and uh, Bill Hader using a British accent. Need I need I say more? It's just. I don't even know what to say. I, I think that one of the hardest things that that you can do is to have to fake being a bad actor. And Bill Hader's British accent is just so bad uh, when they're when they're at the store. It's it. I don't know, man. Like it just it just killed me.
1: I want to hear all these stories of the people in this show who are doing these acting bits and are purposely being bad. How much of that is drawn from real experience, or how much of that is drawn from seeing peers who never made it? Or Whatever that they drew upon, witnessing other bad experiences and bad accents and stuff. that's something I would love to hear about.
0: I mean, I can imagine going into a retail store or even a restaurant in Los Angeles and having to pe- deal with people who are always quote unquote on like like what Barry is doing here. I guess I could see that. and I think it would drive me insane.
1: Yeah, it's like I'm gonna try on this persona today. Or I'm gonna try this on the next day. And it's like, OK, I see what you're trying to do, but like you're at work, you're at a retail store, you're a, or a bartender or a server like this is not your opportunity to try on a character or something like that. You that's not what this is for. But m- maybe just the atmosphere of Los Angeles, it's like just weirdly expected. But, yeah, that would drive me insane, especially if I'm uh, if if I'm his coworker who is British watching him do this. Uh, Sasha, uh, how you would not be like offended or just kind of like tilting your head being like, really, we're doing this. We're do- we're not only doing this, we're doing this when I'm in the store at the same time.
0: Uh, for sure. And of course, Sasha is very unhappy uh, with Barry for using a British accent because she's British. Uh, but she jokes at one point that she would never play an Australian. Is that something? Is that a British Australian thing or is that an in joke from The Good Place? I couldn't quite decide.
1: I think it's an in joke from The Good Place because... Oh. I remember hearing an interview with Hugh Grant, how he was good friends with Nicole Kidman. He talks about how British people and Australians tend to get along pretty well. So I don't think it's necessarily a rivalry between the two groups, but I think an in-joke to the good place, a nice wink and nod. It's, again, one of those things, if you don't know, you don't know, but if you do know, it's a fun little thing to to, to notice.
0: And, of course, that actor was prominently in The Good Place, specifically the season when uh, they spent a number of episodes in Australia. Uh, so if we get Hank showing up in the first of his many disguises, Kevin. And uh, I'm not going to lie, this uh, the, the wig that he was wearing did not fool me at all. Uh, but Hank makes it clear that he wants Barry to murder Esther. Barry calls him a fucking idiot, which I totally understand, given that he's wearing the wig uh, and Barry turns him down. So uh, very clearly going for some comedy here with Hank in in that wig. And the relationship between Barry and Hank is, is very fraught, obviously, because Hank seems to have a lot of respect for Barry, but Barry is not reciprocative of that in any conceivable way. So... Uh, Yeah, this their relationship is is definitely it's entertaining because just there is such a clear conflict because Barry uh, Barry never wants to do what Hank wants him to do.
1: I think maybe my the the thing I dislike most about season two is anything with Hank that doesn't involve Barry. Just something about the the Chechnyans and the Bolivians like being involved with each other isn't of great interest. There's some good Hank moments there and, and it feels like they had this separate thing for Barry where he couldn't be tied to Hank all the time, but Hank was just so amusing that they need him to come back. So they need something to kind of fill Hank's time while Barry was doing other stuff. But obviously it's when Hank and Barry are together, when Hank's at his absolute best. So those scenes are still really great. And they're like trying to figure out kind of ways to keep them tied together. And obviously there's a great way to keep them tied together going into season three. We'll see, but yeah, that's when he's at his best. And just the fact that he thinks His wig is such an amazing disguise that Barry wouldn't recognize him is, is such great humor, but I, but definitely the bottom of his headwear in season two.
0: Yes. uh, We will talk more about that headwear as we go along. So Fuchs is uh, now being interrogated uh, by the police. I I love the fact that he makes a direct law and order reference in front of them. And Kevin, I have to be honest, look, I'm not a, a huge fan of the police, but if I were to be interrogated by the police, I cannot imagine a scenario where I make a reference to the show Law and Order or Chicago PD or any other cop show because I feel like it would just piss them off. And, of course, this pays off with Fuke saying that he is not going to give the police his DNA. They just take his DNA from a cocaine, and he doesn't realize. Uh, A great comedic moment with, uh, again, stuff happening in the background. Very good stuff.
1: I mean, how many people do you think – out there who think because they watch so many crime procedurals that they're like detective experts or even like medical experts from watching er and stuff like i have to imagine those people even worse going to a doctor's and thinking you know something because it's something you read on facebook or whatever i mean i'm sure those people have to deal with this crap all the time even if even somebody who's supposedly supposed to be this crime genius or what have you and fuchs being like well i watch law and order so this that or the other Feels unfortunately very real to
0: life. That is uh, that is definitely plausible. So we go back to the theater now. Barry uh, tries giving a motivational speech, and boy is he he is not good at it. He's not a talker, and that becomes very evident in this scene. Gene does roll back into the theater, decides to cancel the show, but will not give anyone a refund. And uh, Kevin, I have to be, I have to be honest that when he did this, I was like. What, what, why, why is he a wrestling promoter now not giving out refunds? I mean, that's, that's how this came across to me.
1: There are those funny moments where as you feel bad for Gene and we do, and that doesn't change. You get these carny theater running moments, like no refunds. And then later when Barry's at his house and kind of pouring his heart out to him and stuff, he talks about charging him a billable hour for helping him with his acting Really funny stuff there, but yes, it seems very true to life to people who are in the entertainment business.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just, it feels, it feels that way. So uh, we get uh, Barry kind of opening his heart up a little bit, and we get this really, we haven't really had a lot of flashbacks up to this point in the show, uh, but we get a very important one, and this is something that we kind of come back to. Barry uh, talks about the first time that he killed someone from 700 yards away uh, as a sniper, and (laughs) there is a there's quite the contrast in how his classmates reenact it it's very melodramatic it's very big because it's a theater and meanwhile what actually happened is that uh the people that are in his unit uh they're celebrating the fact that he murdered someone so uh you kind of get like what is it really like versus how would a bunch of actors from los angeles who have come from at least some sort of privilege how would they see it and it's uh, it is very fascinating, just the the contrast in reactions. so I, I very much appreciated that part of it. And after that, Sally uh, says that she is very proud of Barry uh, for opening up about his experience. and uh, this is going to kind of set up the rest of the season and what the what the class is going to be asked to do.
1: Yeah, a lot of I mean, the whole season's really about confronting the truth, who you are, uh, and are you able to express that? And somebody like Barry, who has these wartime memories that we're just learning about throughout the, the the show, but also is so emotionally stunted. And I have to imagine that's both war and just something you probably do to yourself to live with yourself as you're uh, an assassin, a hitman. Like if you're going around killing people, there has to be something about yourself you shut off emotionally to deal with taking lives on a regular basis for money and something you do even as a soldier in, in in wartime to deal with taking away the lives of, of other people that you have to do. So like Barry's trying to become this human being and opening up without trying to give himself away and trying to be honest while having to still be a little dishonest. It's this really interesting character feature of him that we're, we're trying to, he's trying to get people to come to grips with their truth specifically Sally, while he also can't, necessarily confront himself with some of that stuff too it's a, it's a really great character thing that we see with barry throughout the season
0: so we end the show on kind of a big deal as we we have hank and barry having another conversation <laughs> hank is not wearing a wig or hat he's just very serious and he tells barry that he wants him to do this hit and threatens him the police get a hit on the DNA that is uh, Fuchs's tooth, uh, so they are obviously very suspicious of him now, and Detective Loach identifies Barry as the one in the grainy footage, and uh, so we're, we're off and running, and things from the previous season are kind of coming back, and uh, we've got some new directions to go into, Kevin, so uh, a very good first episode of the season.
1: Yeah, we're continuing the theme with really strong cliffhangers, and uh, like the the Hank w- scene really worked for me because this was kind of like no more fucking around, no humor to this scene. It was really Hank being serious and like the first time you realize like, oh, right, he's a very deadly person. And although he views Barry as a friend when it comes down to it, there's a business arrangement there. And uh, if Barry's trying to blow him off or not work with him, he's going to confront him and make his life could make his life a very, very hard to live if he wanted to. So between that and then. Uh, Loach discovering that Barry was the one in the grainy footage. Hell of a way to end episode one.
0: As we get into episode two, Barry is flashing back to his very first kill again uh, while he is in the car with Hank. And uh, these two have uh, quite the conversations about how bullets work, uh, which was, which I was tremendously amused by. Uh, Barry asks a really important question. He asks about being evil while Hank is just hungry.
1: Well, I love that Hank completely misinterprets the tone of the question. He's like, "Oh my gosh, yes, Barry, you're you are evil. You're the most evil person I know. Do do I not tell you that enough?" Because in his mind, in his world, being evil is something to aspire to. And in Barry, he just really wants to to convince himself he's not an evil person. Hear other people tell him that to help with continuing to tell himself he is not an evil person.
0: Yeah. So another another great Barry and Hank scene. Uh, to open the show. And uh, meanwhile, Detective Loach is doing one of the most human things that you can do. And that is uh, Facebook stalking his ex. And uh, he eventually makes a decision, Kevin, uh, that I don't know that any sane person would make. He decides to go to Cleveland by himself.
1: Yeah, I've been to Cleveland, but not by myself. Can't yeah. say I've done that.
0: Would not recommend.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: I mean, it's Cleveland. What what good things are in Cleveland?
1: Uh, melt is very good. Rock and roll hall of fame was pretty fun. Uh, I have never been to the Indians, uh, baseball stadium. I don't know if it's nice. I, I, have you been there?
0: I have been to the Cleveland, uh, baseball team stadium. Is it nice? It's a, it's a very nice stadium. Uh, the downtown area in fact has, uh, definitely gotten an upgrade over the last few years. And, uh, yeah, they, they have some interesting bars there. The hairy Buffalo, the Winking Lizard. So you're very kind of niche, like hipster bars. I mean, I don't even know if hipster is the right word, but like th- those bars that are near sports stadiums and are clearly going for that kind of clientele.
1: Well, now, like Hank, I'm getting hungry. So thanks a lot.
0: You, you, you're absolutely welcome. Uh So let's <laughs> get back into the show. So Barry... Bill Hader has some wonderful facial expressions throughout the both seasons, but in season two in particular, just some hall of fame looks on his face. Talk about Kevin, the look on his face when he walks in and sees all of these people re-experiencing their traumas and trying to trying to find their truths. It's it's genuinely tremendous.
1: It's just such an interesting, like, inter- like what is my trauma? It's like bulimia, or a twin dying in the womb, or your father, like, you think your father was kidnapped by aliens, and yes, those are all various versions of trauma, but when you put it next to the scale of what Barry's been through, it, it that's where the comedy lies.
0: I mean, they're, they're basically children, and Gene has a great line, what if we thought about ourselves, which is just chef's kiss perfect, I mean, there have been a lot of solid Los Angeles shows, but I think what makes this show so good it is that it is it is capturing a very specific kind of person that lives in Los Angeles who they are struggling to be an actor but there's just that hint of a lack of self-awareness a certain amount of selfishness but they're not they're not necessarily terrible people like they're not they're not killing people of course they're not they're not actively bad but when you put Like when you put it within the context of this show and what Barry is trying to do, they just come across as being very superficial. And it's a very good dynamic for the show because it makes even though Barry is a murderer, it makes him seem like less of a monster because he's actually trying to tell some sort of truth.
1: Right. In some ways, he's not human because he's so emotionally stunted, but he seems more human than these very superficial people where. These little things that are so big in their in their lives in the microcosm of their acting world are like such nothing to regular people. They're, they're living these pretty good, cushy lives, and they don't realize that like, so many things are... So, and, and, and I think that's maybe exasperated by being an actor where small things that go bad are overly blown because their lives are so filled with drama in so many ways, like manufactured drama. So yeah, it's a really good way to to bring this microcosm of it and, and have that. And the line about what if we thought about ourselves is such a great way to set up what happens with Gene later in the episode.
0: Uh, Gene sees a reminder about Janice in his office and uh, there he is holding a picture of his son who we see for the first time uh, in this photograph. And he will be uh, a part of the season, even a part of this episode uh, just a couple minutes here. But uh, Barry has decided that he does not want to tell his Afghanistan story, but he wants to tell the story meaning Gene instead because he wants that to define him instead of a murder, probably because he's dealing with some form of PTSD, so he doesn't want to have to keep reliving uh, murdering someone, which is kind of understandable, but he is also su- very clearly sucking up to Gene in this moment by saying he wants that moment to define him, and something else, again, that I really like is the fact that they are really building up this relationship between the two.
1: Right. That that's that's the big key takeaway is Gene is pretty fixated on him doing this scene and revealing his truth until the scene becomes about him and the superficiality of it being about Gene makes Gene immediately say, yes, let's make that your scene because it's all about him.
0: Uh, so on the other side, we have Sally meeting with her agents, and it's very clear that in between season one and season two, that she has been getting some acting jobs, perhaps guest spots on TV shows, uh, some time in commercials. So she is having some level of success based on uh, the reel that she, is, uh, that she is in. So what happens is that she watches her own reel. Uh, and Kevin, I, I have to point this out because – there is, uh, was there anyone familiar in this reel that you noticed?
1: Oh, there sure was. Mr. Patrick Fabian from Better Call Saul in a, a show where she plays an alien for a scene. It is very prominent. And it was a nice Leo DiCaprio pointing to the television moment for myself.
0: Yes, uh, Patrick Fabian, not only in Better Call Saul, but also was, of course, in Veronica Mars. So it all comes full circle. That's right.
1: He was in Veronica Mars. I forget that.
0: Uh, he certainly, he certainly was. Uh, so we also, uh, Sally is complaining about some of the roles that she's being offered, and Given talks about not being weak, not talks about not being weak, uh, and at one point leaving a very shitty marriage, which, um, it, you know, it is a courageous thing to do. And I think sometimes things get bogged down in the details, uh, but like what she is able to do, I think that, again, giving her a lot more agency, and yes, she is still. She is still lacking in self-awareness when she says the line, I will never be with a violent man again. But the thing that I, I think there is a difference in the way that they portray Sally in season one versus season two. In season one, I think that she's almost a little too selfish at times, and I think that it kind of hurts the character. But here, I think they do a really good job of balancing out. Yes, they give her this story of being abused, but they also show her having some strength by being able to walk away Uh, from that situation in in at least a somewhat healthy manner and she is also trying to get out of just being a quote-unquote generic blonde which is very much what I think they're going for with Sally and the kind of ways that she's being portrayed like she's fallen into the trap of just being the wife the secretary that kind of thing and like she is trying to fight that so I really really like what they are doing with Sally compared to season
1: one yes I agree with that too and like Sally in, in season one came off as like the worst parts of Britta and community, like felt like she was the smartest one in the room all the time, felt like she was the best. She was destined to be great and just uh, like constantly just like nervous and wondering what it would be like to make it. And now it's interesting to see, because in some respects she's made it and that she's getting work in Hollywood. I think you can tell that's maybe mellowed her out because now she has a consistent agent. She's getting consistent work. But the real kind of makes her realize, like, yeah, I'm getting work and this is, you know, paying bills and such. But it's not the, the meaty, artsy stuff that I think that she really ends up realizing that's what she's striving for in Hollywood. And it doesn't make her revert back to her season one self, thankfully. But it makes her it, it's so interesting to see, like, I think people always have this this image in their head doesn't matter where you are. Like if I just get this job, I'll be happier. I'll be successful or this or that. And now that she's in a role in in a role where she's getting roles, even though they may not be leads, even though they may be a little superficial, it's like, ah, yeah, I, I guess this is kind of what I wanted, but it's really not what I wanted. Uh, so it's nice to see like, she not everything in her life is suddenly fixed by getting an agent and having consistent work. I like that too. And it, and it definitely makes her seem like a more well-rounded, respected character in this season. Overall, she has her moments, but in general, I think she's far more likable in season two.
0: And she also has uh, one of the best monologues that has been in this show that we will uh, get into later. But getting back to Jean, Jean goes to find his son at a farmer. What, it, what I, it looks like a farmer's market, Uh, The son has clearly checked out of the possibility of them having a relationship. And uh, we get kind of a personal connection here as Gene, we are seeing Gene interact with somebody who is not, this is not someone that he has necessarily a lot of power over. Like he can't lord his acting skills or his ability to teach. And uh, we have to see Gene be a little bit more vulnerable here. And uh, through this conversation, Gene tells Barry uh, that he will do the story from Afghanistan instead of telling the story of meeting Gene. So uh, an important moment for Gene as we kind of expand his world as well. We kind of see Sally looking at her reel, talking about things with her agents. And here we see Gene kind of exploring her her pers- his personal life a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think the key thing is, is Leo, his son, when he sees his dad, he's sort of like, what do you want? What are you doing here? His father, I guess, left them early in life and now he wants to rekindle this relationship. And when he's talking to Leo, all Leo's hearing about is why he wants to rekindle this for Gene's purpose. And Leo just says, like, it's always about you. Like everything you do, you make it about yourself. You don't really you're very you're too self-interested. And that's why Gene goes back and says, Barry, you're not telling a story about me anymore, is kind of the this the anchor to your story, regrowing back to the Afghanistan story. And his son telling him that he's too self-involved and too selfish, really sort of Charts the rest of Gene Cousineau for the rest of the season.
0: Meanwhile, Barry, of course, uh, is being asked to kill Esther, but when he goes to the monastery where she is located, uh, he cannot bring himself to do so. But he uh, he walks into the wrong room, bearing a firearm, and gets his entire car shot up. Which again, we talk about the tone of the show, and they in this scene, they're really straddling the line between comedy. And what Barry does and walking into this room with all these people just having guns. And then, uh, you know, what he is actually there to do. Like, he's there to kill someone. And yet the the comedy of the situation uh, still exists. And then he gets back to his apartment. Uh, he runs into Fuchs and they get into it. Uh, he does not punch him in the face this time. Uh, but there is uh, there's no love there whatsoever between these two. Uh, Once great friends, perhaps mentee mentor relationship uh, that no longer exists because uh, they are firmly not uh, they, especially on Barry's part, Barry is uh, very angry at Fuchs, which is understandable.
1: Right. They're not on the same page. And I think what you're seeing in the uh, with the situation where he goes into the wrong room and runs away is like this acting stuff and his finding humanity and remembering the, the war stuff is really getting to him and affecting his work as a hitman. And also important to point out is with Fuchs is he's now been tasked to wear a wire by the police to save his own ass by getting uh, Barry in jail, or that's where we think it's going anyways. And so that's going to be an interesting dynamic when Barry wants nothing to do with Fuchs. Fuchs has to find a way to keep himself around Barry to save his own ass. So another interesting way to end uh, this episode and wondering when is the when when is things gonna come to a head with Barry getting found out officially?
0: I also and this um so episode three, we get uh an actor playing Thomas Freeman speaking, and it's it's kind of this round table discussion, and Hank do you want to talk about the the cryon that is under Hank?
1: Oh, the Chiron? Yes. It's it's his like fantasy as he's thinking about this. And his name is North Hollywood Henry, and the uh his title is smarter person.
0: Yes, it, uh, and I think the it roundtable...
1: and I think the Roundtable or channel is called like Smart People Five.
0: Of, I mean, if Hank was to dream, this is this is exactly this is the most Hank thing that he could possibly do. Absolutely. And Hank counters by talking about killing Esther, and he wakes up from the, from the dream, and we see that he has been reading the the Thomas Friedman book, and uh, Hank is informed that Esther and her men were attacked. And uh, this leads to uh, a very important line. He basically says, uh, we have to kill Barry. So that not, not a lot of love between Hank and Barry after what happened at the end of episode two.
1: Yeah, it sucks that he feels like we have to kill Barry because they're so friends. But I guess when you whiff it so hard on, on a kill uh, or something like that, it's I guess he feels that's, that's what you got to do.
0: Uh, so then we get Barry kind of telling his Afghanistan story. I couldn't help but think, like... There, it felt like he was on this American life telling the story but really he's just uh, typing at a laptop and trying to uh, make make the story work um on the other hand we have gene going back to visit his son and he tries to give him the keys to the cabin the son justifiably says no and even mentions the fact uh, that that is the place where Janice Ma- Moss met her end so gene is trying but gene is uh is. He's, he has a lot of trouble making uh, authentic emotional connections. And I feel like that that is also a thing, uh, being an actor in Los Angeles. And especially because Dean has very clearly been an actor in Los Angeles for a long period of time. Like you could definitely see why uh, why he has so, so many problems being authentic and, and telling some sort of truth.
1: Definitely. And I think, you know, you also have to consider that leo has his whole life you know he has his relationship with his mother he has his own wife and kids now and it's like he's sure for his dad things will be hunky-dory if he's back in his life but i hate to say it but it's like a disruption to his life to have his father come back in when he's built this life without him for so long it's easy for 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 gene to come back and want hit want leo back in his life and hopefully sort things out as he's grieving and really doesn't have anybody else left. But for Leo, it is a big uh, disruption of people. And as he mentions later, like it's something that the people in his life are telling him, don't do it. Don't reconnect with your father. So interesting to just to see the dynamic between them and, and what's going on with Gina's he's trying, but his trying is just so, so tainted by everything that's gone on with his own life and trying to balance his, his selfishness with not trying to be that person anymore.
0: And then we go back to the apartment and we spend uh, quite a bit of time there as there are two very important scenes that take place. Uh, we have Sally talking with her friend about the last night with her ex boyfriend, Sam. They were in a very abusive relationship, especially on Sam's part. Uh, they, they, they both seem to remember it's the same way, but there is definitely uh, some hesitation on the friend's part because Sally seems to remember a uh, kind of sticking up for herself and, as we know, the reality is is that, as it is revealed in future episodes, uh, Sally Sally was not as brave as uh, as she thinks. But I mean, it's it's one of those situations where, like, she still had the courage to leave. So you, I I think she's she is harsher on herself than I think a professional or a friend or a therapist would be to her.
1: Yes, I think that is a a very apt. Comparison. I think it's it's good to have those people in your life as long as they're honest and as long as they're understanding. And I think Sam is rightfully hesitant to to relive that story. And Sally is definitely not happy to hear that their recollections are different. And that's something that she's going to have to confront uh, personally as the the rest of the season plays out.
0: Meanwhile, Barry is typing and uh, then he just randomly hears bullets whizzing by as happens when you are a uh, world famous assassin. Uh, So Barry shoots back and uh, Hank is across the way on the roof. Uh, Barry cannot bring himself to shoot Hank though. And uh, they're, they're kind of at a stalemate, but what Barry decides is that instead of killing Esther himself, instead of going after the Burmese, instead of continuing to be involved with drugs, Barry is going to train uh, the Chechnyans so that they can take care of themselves. And hilarity, Kevin, is about to ensue.
1: It's a great idea on paper. And this whole setup to it with Barry just at the laptop and then the bullets was by. And he has a moment of like, is that is that bullets? And then he has to duck and go under his mattress for that. And then he shoots back at them. And the whole scene with Hank as uh, his comrade is bleeding and he doesn't care. So funny. Just such a perfect Way to show how Barry thinks, uh, or I'm sorry, Hank thinks of Barry as such a good friend that he doesn't even care that his his colleague has been shot in the arm and is in deep pain and even make gets him up and dancing when Barry agrees to train his people. Also awesome. Just such, anytime you get Barry and Hank together, I'm, I'm going to love it. And I love how Barry gets very self-conscious when they're like hugging on the roof and stuff or dancing. He's like, people are watching us and there's bullets involved. So there's all this and and even like, when Sally's on the the video call with her friend and talking and then Barry just in the background quickly goes by with a gun and nobody notices or says anything. It's 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 so wonderful.
0: Barry does that a couple of other times this season, and I'm waiting for the moment when somebody actually sees him. I don't know. if I, I really hope that there's a payoff to that. That's
1: yeah, because it, it, it harkens back to season one where Sally doesn't realize that Janice and the the Chechnyan that was about to kill her, fighting outside her car. She's loudly listening to music and texting about getting to do uh, the lead role in uh, in the production at the theater. It, it, some yeah, there's hopefully there's some sort of payoff in somewhere down the line of that.
0: I mean, Sally walks into the shot up bedroom, doesn't notice kind of the feathers and the and the debris that is everywhere, but is only focusing on herself and her story. And that is it's a very Sally thing to do. She is just kind of an oblivious person. But I don't think she's she's not being mean or actively bad or anything. But there is there's definitely uh, a lack of self-awareness in this moment that we see.
1: I think that's almost perfect for Barry to go and hiding against a group of people who are just self-absorbed in their work and and trying to make it as actors and actresses. It makes it easier to hide amongst a group like that that's really only thinking about themselves.
0: Uh, So Fuchs and uh, Detective Loesch, uh, they are they're trying to get Barry to confess uh, to the murder of Detective Moss. uh, So we see them practicing and it's a it's just a fun way to get Steven Root in a scene for a few minutes. And uh, that's that's really all you need. Otherwise, uh, we get Barry training the potential assassins, and there is a, a discussion about whether they need a translator. I mean, it's 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 just it's great. This scene is great. Barry watching them shooting guns, and they all suck. The look on Barry's face when he's watching them is is one of the great joys of life because it's this look of what am I doing? It's disappointment. It's it's boredom. It's it's everything, Kevin. I love Bill Hader's facial expressions in this show are fantastic.
1: Well, it's so funny because I feel like he doesn't do anything. But just him being there is enough to make Hank and the rest of them very happy.
0: Certainly uh, they they do. And uh, there is one person one of them can shoot. Do they ever give this person a name?
1: I don't think so.
0: But there is there is one there's one character of the Chechens who can actually shoot. They do not assign him a name, but he is somebody that plays an important role throughout the rest of the season. And I'm not going to say he gets his own story, but he is definitely somebody that is a little bit more prominently featured than almost any of the other Chechens. So uh, everyone celebrates the fact that one of them can
1: shoot. And really all it's going to take is one. I mean, if Barry as one man can take out uh take out so many people surely this guy will do just as good a work right
0: uh maybe not but uh something speaking of work uh we get a little insight into what uh, people actually think of barry as sasha lies about needing someone to cover her and then she calls him a jarhead and my favorite part of this is that she apologizes and that it is never brought up between the two again, and I kind of, I kind of appreciate the fact that they don't bring it up, because it's just it's a real it's a real insight into maybe what they actually think of Barry, maybe some jealousy, maybe some frustration and anger at him for for kind of being a tryhard. That's that's the impression that I get in in that moment.
1: Yeah, I do think it's funny he doesn't bring it up because I think Barry's just like the less interaction I have, the better, because it means less opportunities for me to blow my cover or what have you. And I also think like that that has happened in my life where like I try to make sure now if I'm texting somebody something negative about somebody else, I will like check the the two line who I'm sending it to over and over again to make sure I don't make that mistake.
0: So when you're saying terrible things about me, you're making sure that you're texting somebody else and not me.
1: yeah. I mean, I would never do that, Jerome. No, certain. No, no, certainly. Hold on. I got to check. I got to check my phone real quick.
0: Anyway, I'm going to I'm going to uh, we get Fuchs coming into a store and telling Barry about giving entertainment and uh, and not necessarily the truth. So Fuchs does uh, kind of does not want Barry to uh, kind of tell uh, the actual truth. And the Fuchs and Barry in this moment when they're in the store as uh, as Barry is covering for Sasha. They admit they miss each other and uh they hug it out in episode three uh kind of a kind of a nice moment between uh, the two of them unfortunately it's uh it's not going to last very long when barry returns to the theater to give his new version of the monologue
1: <laughs>
0: it uh it echoes braveheart and gene and the others uh in the fake scene uh they uh they they kind of mock him for for, for doing this. And uh, what a movie to make fun of it. What a person to make fun of Mel Gibson and Braveheart hashtag problematic.
1: Well, I I love that they like do it where they're visualizing Barry in Afghanistan and everyone's there. And it's like, you're watching the moment as if it was really happening. And then Gene just walks in on the scene and is like, isn't that Braveheart? And everyone else is like, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's how it happened, Barry. And they're all treating it like it's like an acting scene, but it's supposed to be this real life Afghanistan thing. It's shot so well. It's so funny. And like the fact that Barry is so out of it that he thinks he could get away by doing a really famous monologue from Braveheart and nobody would notice is so great.
0: Yeah. I mean, he's literally surrounded by acting people in Los Angeles. And of course, some of them are going to know what Braveheart is, especially Gene, because Gene was definitely alive 25 years ago uh, for that. So uh, uh, a really tremendous moment. So Gene then tells Barry to find his inner darkness as he is the one that is asked to play Sally's ex-boyfriend. Now, just... So so, I have some notes, Kevin, about, about this. Barry and Sally are dating, and they're in an acting class together, and now you're asking Barry to play an abusive ex of Sally. Like, Aside from all of Barry's other issues that he is having, this uh, this does not seem like a very intelligent move uh, to put these two people together in a scene like this when they're actually dating.
1: And I can see how people would think the opposite. Like, well, it's somebody she feels comfortable with and someone who's going to be delicate to the situation because of that. So he'd be the best person for the role. But yeah, doesn't seem like the best and wisest decision.
0: Barry, of course, is very uncomfortable with the scene because as much as he is violent, he's not really violent against people that he knows as far as we know. Uh, So both in what he has to say and what he has to do, he is very uncomfortable and cannot bring himself to choke Sally out. Uh, So they end up both going outside. And that is where they find Sally's ex-boyfriend, Sam. Sam is just there as both of them are outside. And that is how the episode ends where we get to see what a schlub Sally's ex looks like.
1: And and I don't know about you, but as soon as I saw him, I'm like, this motherfucker's dead.
0: I, I definitely can see the argument that, that he would die. I, I don't know. I was kind of dubious of that because I feel like it's one of those things where on the surface it's like, yes, of course, Barry is going to kill this person. But then I think once you think about it a little bit more, and that's even aside from knowing, like knowing what Barry is trying to do, like having him kill one of Sally's exes, like that feels like a bridge too far.
1: Maybe, but I think that also shows that like that's how Barry solves problems is there's not talking, there's not working things out. It's this guy's a dick. He's dead. Like, that's it. That's that's like the brain process, like a weird one to one thing with Barry is a lot of these solutions are solved by by killing. And in some cases, that has to be the solution to either keep himself from going to prison forever or what have you. But I think it's like this is where it comes into his dark emotions and stuff where it's just like this guy hurt somebody I love. They have to be killed. That's where my brain went. But you're right. If you that so that's my instant gut reaction. But yeah, as you put more thought into it, you're like this there's too many problems that would come up and too many holes to fill if he did kill him.
0: Yes, the holes that are in his body because of all the bullets, right?
1: Well he just need some super glue and that's fine.
0: <laughs> I see what you did there. And we'll uh, we'll get to that in uh in a few minutes. Uh let's talk about episode four. This the beginning of episode four feels very sitcomy as Sam, Sally, and Barry are eating uh, a very awkward dinner. Um, And Barry and Sally, they can't really agree on what the scene is because it's tough to tell whether they're trying to lie or whether they're trying to not lie and be truthful. But basically, uh, they they are trying to get across what the scene is. And uh, Barry is very clearly not a fan of Sam, as you might imagine, uh, given what Sally has said about Sam. And, you know, it's one of those things where Barry... Like, the, the hero instincts are, are kicking in here. And uh, he very clearly just wants to murder him. I feel like if this were a different show, they would have him, like, fantasizing about how he was going to kill him. But I'm almost glad they didn't do that, because then I think it would it would kind of cross a line at that point.
1: Yeah, it would have. But I also like that, like, Barry isn't even listening to him. It's just, like, he's so fuming that he can't even hear what Sam is, is talking about. And I think, Bear, and Barry mentioned this later in his head, he's like, What the fuck? Like you told him off and said you didn't want to ever see him again. And now here we are like having dinner with him. Like everything's fine. Like what, what the hell is this? Like, why are we subjecting ourselves to this
0: crap? So lotion fuchs are planning to get Barry to finally admit uh, to his, uh, his various crimes. So that's, what's going on there kind of a continuation of what's been going on in previous episodes. Uh, Meanwhile, when Sally and Barry are, are kind of in the dressing room after, Uh, kind of the the dinner sally reveals that she never actually told sam off and barry tries to rightfully console her because she did still uh leave the situation which is ultimately what matters the most like whether he was asleep or not is irrelevant like the fact that she was still able to do it um speaks to her strength i think and uh then sam invites sally to his hotel room after seeing Sally practice her monologue uh, and Barry tells him to leave. So there's a lot going on here as uh, Sally is kind of working on practicing the monologue, Sam. It's, I mean, it's shot like a horror movie basically where we see Sam just kind of standing there watching her do it. She can't see him, but he can see her. And uh, when he invites her to the hotel room, I, I wasn't concerned that she was going to die but definitely concerned that something uh, pretty serious was going to happen because it's very clear that uh, he is not a fan of what's going on. And we know that Barry's a murderer, so some things were clearly going to go down.
1: Yeah, something was going to go down. I'm glad that, like, she didn't see him or anything like that. I think that's that's a, that's a either a payoff that never happens or has to be, like, way down the line for this show. But, it, I you know, it goes to show that, like, if you're not careful, like, someone... Someone you really care about could have been caught in the line of fire there, and that would have been a nightmare for everybody.
0: So, at this point, we get Barry blatantly walking out with a gun and loading it while his roommates are doing VR. God, this scene, I don't know why I was laughing for so long after watching this scene, but just the idea that he he keeps doing this and keeps not getting seen just amuses me to no end.
1: The obliviousness is really great.
0: For sure. So, at the hotel, Sam gets mad, and... I think that he uses a lot of the language that you would hear uh, from an abuser uh, in this situation. Basically, he says that she is just doing this for attention and nothing else. And when a woman doesn't want you to do what she what you want her to do, Kevin, what do you do? You call her a bitch. And that is exactly what he does here. Barry nearly walks in and shoots Sally right in the face. But instead he goes into a car and just screams out uh, his frustration. So uh, the scene with Sam and Sally was intense, but I am I'm I'm very glad that they did not go in the direction where he beat her or something, because I don't know. Like, again, this is a show about murder. But for some reason, that feels like it crosses a very specific line and I can't quite put my finger on it.
1: I I agree with you. And I, I kind of messed up. I was this is kind of the scene I was talking about when you mentioned the other scene. About the hotel before. So I got my wires crossed there. But yes. I think this. This spousal abuse would have felt all wrong. In this. I don't think there's ever a really situation where it feels right. To be completely honest with you. But here it would have felt really off track. And almost. I don't want to say lazy. But it also just would have seemed too predictable. In a way that that's would have been. And like. If Sam had beaten Sally. And Barry didn't kill Sam that would have felt very off. So I think, and if they, so if they weren't going to kill him, they couldn't have done that too. And I think him like punching the wall next to her head kind of gets across the same level of aggression and hostility that was going on from him in this scene too. And like the think about how this could ruin my life that I have built for myself if you do this monologue. So I think they got across what they needed to without having to cross that line. And I think that was, it was perfectly executed there. Uh, and I'm really glad that, again, Sally didn't see him. Sam didn't see him. And he had the moment of like, oh, shit. And then he ran away and just like, obviously, he was very frustrated with everything. It, it's such a good scene in a lot of ways. But it could have gone way hard in the other direction and been way too dark.
0: We get another really good scene in this episode as Barry goes to talk to Gene kind of about what happened. Um, and they have, I think, what is a pretty powerful conversation is Jean. Uh, says that people can change their nature, and Barry kind of gets into not just what happened in Afghanistan in that one incident that we've seen a number of times, but specifically uh, what happened when Barry killed a civilian. I put I put on accident, even though he very clearly meant to do it. But it's it's basically a situation where Barry snapped and uh, and killed a civilian, and that is I mean that is a war crime. That is something. That is just so horrendous and horrific, and because of this, he was uh, he was sent to a hospital in Germany, and it's it's not really made clear kind of what happens at the hospital. But after that, he is discharged and uh, starts this uh, this life of bounty hunting slash assassinating people. And Barry, after this incident, says, "I didn't feel like I deserved a good life." And uh, part of I think what makes this scene work so well is not just the Barry part of it, but Kind of Gene revealing what he actually thinks of a lot of the other people in the class, and uh, he calls them children. And I think that's a really important moment. But of course, uh, we deflect some of the tension by Gene, as you mentioned earlier, turning this into a billable hour. So it you get the comedy with that, but you also, again, build the relationship between the two. And uh, make it the best it could possibly be so that what happens at the end of season two, uh, you're really maximizing uh, the, the, the drama and maximizing uh, the hurt that is going to come uh, because these two have built up their relationship so much.
1: That and I also think what well, great moment with it, too, is after uh, Gene hears the story, he's like, Barry, thank you so much for sharing that story with me. I'm glad you could trust me. Never tell that story to anyone else ever again (laughs) just realizing how horrific it is to hear him get away with murder even in the the fog of war as they put it he's just like yeah you really i shouldn't have heard that i'm glad i heard it i guess but please never tell that again but yeah great great relationship building between the two of them and, and a perfect way to 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 kind of change everything how gene feels about barry and barry about gene
0: so after this barry goes to see fuchs and talks about moving on from those events and he <laughs> he unwittingly admits everything to loch and Loach is everything but loch is not going to arrest Ke- arrest barry kevin no that would be too easy and too simple no loch wants barry to kill his ex-wife's lover so that is where we are going to go for episode five and uh we're gonna go on a bit of a detour,
1: and the and Barry expresses what we as the audience feel when Loach asks him to kill his ex wife's lover by going,
0: "What? All right, let's talk about episode five. Episode five is one of the more notable episodes from this season, Kevin, and I, I think that there are a lot of people who really like it, but I think for me, there are there are many aspects to this episode that I like, but. It feels like this is a diversion from the main story and the fact that it eats up an entire episode, it just feels like we are putting this season on pause just so we can kind of do this gimmicky episode that kind of takes Loach off the board So I don't know. I know that, again, a lot of people really like this episode. Maybe you really like this episode. But for me, this is probably one of my least favorite of the entire series.
1: Yeah, this was probably my favorite episode of the the season next to the finale. Uh, I like kind of the weirdness of it. It sort of reminded me of like certain episodes of Atlanta where it almost felt like there's weird fantasy aspects about it, like the daughter almost doesn't seem real in this episode. But I think they wanted to take an episode to, again, look at more Fuchs and Barry's relationship to kind of strengthen the impact that what Fuchs is going to do in the last few episodes with Jean make that resonate a lot more. So to me, it really worked uh, maybe a lesser show wouldn't. And and even I think Alec Berg and Bill Hader talked about this being a very polarizing episode. So I don't know if you're going to see more like it, but I definitely understand people not liking it, but I really enjoyed the enjoyed it for what it was kind of. Maybe it did take away from the other aspects of the show in in some ways, but again, like the chechenian Bolivian stuff, I didn't totally love. And the acting class, I was okay putting aside for an episode too. And I think because of this episode, just my opinion, I think the Fuchs stuff, with him and Barry uh, goes a longer way in the last few episodes.
0: See, I, I don't necessarily have an issue with the Fuchs Barry stuff specifically. I think for some, like, even though that's kind of the point of the episode, I think that stuff kind of works, but it's, it's the Barry stuff with, with Ronnie and with Lily that I just think it, it takes a long time to get through some of those scenes. And it does, it, it does cross the line. Into feeling very gimmicky, and again, there are parts of it that do work. Like I love the mask and the headgear that Barry is wearing, both because it's really funny that he would wear that, and also it's a great way to hide the fact that they can use stunt doubles uh, for some of the action scenes because there is a there's some pretty intense action going on throughout this episode, and I think even some of that it it doesn't it doesn't not work in total. But I I just think that, I don't know, it just, it felt like the stuff with Ronnie and with Lily, this did not feel like it should have taken an an entire episode. I don't know about you. But that's that's kind of where it was like, all right, let's 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 keep it going, especially when Lily is just sitting on the roof and she becomes feral in a way. And <laughs> I agree with you that yes, I think it works on Atlanta, but I think Atlanta Atlanta is even less of a grounded show than Barry is. And Barry certainly at feels at times feels heightened, but I think this is totally where it, it kind of crossed over into just being too much of a cartoon.
1: Yeah, very specifically, I was thinking about the Atlanta episode that ends with, like, the invisible car outside of the the club, like, hitting people. Like, that was so weird. Like, it felt very cartoony. You're right. Like, I could see this not taking up a whole episode and maybe throwing some other stuff in there. and Or maybe it just needed more Fuchs and Barry stuff. Like, if they had just uh, – like, I think maybe Ronnie coming back in the grocery store and, like, Lily just popping up again and again was a bit much – Uh, If they kind of at the beginning and then moved on, it was just Fuchs and Barry. It may have worked a little bit better, but in general, I just thought I liked, I liked the, um, what's the word I'm looking for. I like the effort, and I like that. They kind of took a chance on episode here. I don't know if they'll do it again, but I did appreciate it from that aspect.
0: So the, the important notes to take away from this episode is that Ronnie does indeed get killed, but he does not at first he, uh, he gets a busted windpipe in the fight, so he's wheezing. And I, I do have to say, I I would I love the ending scene. So the ending scene I think is the best part because Barry walks into this store. Um, he's broken his stitches uh, because he's been kind of cut and brutalized. So he walks into this store and this Lee and Rimes song is playing. I don't know what song it is, but it's just the perfect ambiance for what's about to take place and he hears the wheezing and that's how you know that ronnie's back and so they they start fighting again uh meanwhile fuchs is outside he has super glued his hands to the steering wheel and of course he backs right into a police car and then we get loch uh coming in shooting ronnie uh Loche is about to kill barry when ronnie round kicks him dead then police shoot ronnie dead And uh, so that takes them all off the board. And then kind of the ending of the episode is Fuchs telling Barry to get in the car and Barry hesitating. Uh, But Kevin, I I do have to say the detectives and the police on this show, if there's one thing that's been consistent from the first episode, the detectives and the police don't really know what they're doing. And I, I, I texted this to you, Kevin. I said, you know, murder is essentially legal in the state of Los Angeles based on the quality of the detectives in this uh, in this series.
1: That's probably my least fair part about the episode is like nobody followed Barry as he was running to the back of the the store. Like, how did Fuchs just back into a police car and then just like he's okay to be sitting on the side of the store and, and be his getaway car for Barry? Like, how is he not charged or how is there not like a conversation about step out of the car? Wait, you can't because your hands are super glued to the steering wheel. Why is that? That's really weird. So some of that stuff, I'm just like, you're asking me to forget a lot or to just, you know, play along a little too much here, which maybe you could say that the police officer is like, oh, shit, there's a shooting in the store that we need to handle right now. And maybe that's valid. But it seems like because it goes from daytime to nighttime that maybe more time has passed than we would have thought. I don't know. just a weird, a weird consistency thing. But I think the great thing is at the end is you've seen during this episode another flashback as to when they finally get home from Afghanistan. Everyone's going back to their families. It's Fuchs who is waiting there for Barry. And like they couldn't have made him more look like what like, like the devil basically accepting Barry and and, having him come into his life to basically lead him into this life of being a hitman very on the nose sort of aspect. And that's kind of what Barry is seeing when again, Fuchs asking him to get back in the car for them to escape the grocery store. So at least that part was, was good. And I do like at least that Ronnie killed Loesch with a roundhouse kick. It's like, we've had enough bullet deaths here. Let's do something a little more fun.
0: Yeah. The roundhouse kick was certainly unique. And the beginning of episode six, is cleaning up some of that as there is a press conference announcing what happened to both the detective and Ronnie. And I feel like just didn't like in the Simpsons episode, I feel like, and we'll never mention this again.
1: Pretty much. But at least I do appreciate they have a press conference where they like, Hey, here's what happened. We know it was a big public thing. So you have to address it, but we made a one-to-one tie and that's that.
0: I also love that the detectives are are trying to find out, Uh, what Loche was up to and they're looking for the files. And then immediately after they leave the box of files comes flying out and it was Barry hiding. And uh, it's a, it's a a very funny comedic moment. I thought,
1: Oh yeah, it was very hilarious.
0: Uh, So then we get Fuchs and Barry uh, discussing Gene and the fact that Gene gets him. But Fuchs rightfully points out that, that Barry has killed Janice for his own self-interest and it's uh, it's basically Fuchs uh, living out the uh, the onion meme, uh, you know, the one uh, the when the worst person, you know, says something uh, smart. That's basically what Fuchs is doing
1: here. Yeah, definitely. I think Fuchs understands Barry almost better than what Barry knows himself and what he does. And I or at least what Barry has been denying this whole time. And yes, Fuchs is also doing this for his own self-interest, because if he gets his best assassin back, there's more work for him, more money, et cetera, et cetera. But I think Barry still needs that person in his life to maybe point out to him that you're lying to yourself. You need to realize what why you did what you did and come to terms with that.
0: So the we go, we get back into kind of the meat and potatoes of the of the season as uh, as we get uh, the Czechians, uh, they're kind of celebrating as uh, as they're training. Uh, seems to be going well. And again, we get the the competence of Barry. Barry is not only good at being an assassin, but also good at teaching people how to be an assassin. And because of this, Hank tells Barry that Barry has a clean slate um, and the one of the most prominent trainees thanks him. Uh, for what has happened. And uh, yeah, I love the fact that Barry is not only good at assassinating, but he's also good at teaching people how to be an assassin.
1: Kind of. I mean, I guess we, we didn't see what he was teaching and yeah, they're way better than they used to be. Uh, I kind of wish I could have seen more of what his technique was in getting people up to speed on, on being
0: better shooters and such. Maybe uh, maybe they practiced the 10,000 hour rule, Kevin. That's that's also a possibility, reading uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book and just uh, practicing.
1: Ah, yes, the Malcolm Gladwell, always the right direction to go. And they definitely had 10,000 hours to to get up to speed.
0: Well, I mean, they were they were dealing with Lily and Ronnie for quite some time,
1: I suppose. But the celebratory dance, that was the best part
0: that that certainly was the best part. So Barry is uh, is now going back to the theater and uh, poor Sasha.
1: Sasha's story is
0: very bad. I
1: I just want to point out the note you sent to me. Just the note is Sasha's story is bad.
0: I mean, it is, right?
1: I'm not saying it's good, but just seeing that written out is so funny to me.
0: So Sasha's story is where uh, she saw a horse in a city in England. And that, that is a defining moment for her.
1: Oh God. And it gets so bad in the season finale when they're doing it in front of the group (laughs) and she's telling the story like, Oh my, that's like, second maybe the most secondhand embarrassment i've experienced from barry so far
0: i mean that's one of those situations where you almost want barry to just come on stage and kill sasha (laughs) just so sasha could not be embarrassed anymore
1: it makes you wonder if barry could get away with this like amazing stage acting like no one would think that he actually killed her (laughs) tough to say
0: so sally has rewritten her story to reflect a greater truth you know that's that's kind of been the theme of this season is where they are they are talking about uh, the truth and this is something that Sally is still very clearly uh, struggling in but Barry says that they're going to they'll figure it out during rehearsals and Barry is is all gung ho for this scene and really trying to help Sally out and that's the thing that I have tremendously appreciated about Barry is that yes Barry is a bad person for for all the murdering that he continues to do attempted murdering all that jazz but the thing that I appreciate so much is that his interest in Sally seems genuine. It It's it's not like he's just doing this to fuck her or like he's just doing this for superficial reasons. Like he is genuinely trying to make a connection with her and genuinely trying to help her. And that's something that I really like.
1: Yeah, and I, I like that too. If we think about the flashbacks in season one or like I'm, I'm, his daydreams in season one, none of them were ever these like super romantic nights of like, hot, passionate love or anything. It was about being in the grocery store together, having a barbecue, their future where they they have kids and are at photo shoots or even like the future where there's teleportation and there's a ton of uh, Academy Awards on their shelves. It's never about like lustful passion or anything. He does really feel to genuinely care about her and her feelings and I think that's a perfect way not only to show Barry's it's it, it's like a perfect way to show that Barry cares about her, and that that's what he really wants out of life is to be a normal human being, and he just can't escape this this hitman life that he's uh, that he's had to endure for most of his adult life.
0: Something else that is really funny about episode six is uh, I I think I could have watched an entire episode of Fuchs in the Wood looking for Janice's car. I think I could have done that just. Just a lot of physical acting on Steven Root's part, and it's it's so great. Like Steven Root, I, I think we've talked a lot about him in epi- in season one, but here just having to talk his way out of the things he has to talk his way out of, just the physical performance in this. I mean, this is uh it's a great showcase for him. And just the way that he is running into dead ends, having to stay out in the cold woods at night. Uh, Just really good stuff across the board. And eventually he finds the car with Janice's body in the trunk. And I think this reinforces the idea that the police are incompetent,
1: very incompetent and and probably just lazy because and and I swear to God, I'm not trying to defend the police here. But like how many times they're a missing person and, and doesn't get resolved for one reason or another. I'm sure a lot of it is like burnout and just too many things on their plate, which is just, you know, an institutional problem and stuff. Uh, but, I mean, Barry also made sure to cover his tracks by going deep, deep, deep into the woods. And, yeah, he didn't do the best job of, like, covering up the car and stuff. But it also goes to show that, like, they do a great job, I think, in making it see- show you that Fuchs had to really go the extra mile and really go deep into the the heart of the woods to find her eventually. Like, it wasn't like an easy look, look, see around. And up oh, there she is. Like, there had to be. Like you said he had to stay overnight, and eventually he found his car. So at least Barry did his due diligence of finding her. So sure, maybe the police taking the extra step would have found her too. But Fuchs knew that the tracks to follow and what was covered up to eventually get to where Barry had to to hide her
0: so at this point, we we know that in the I don't think it's a coincidence that in the same episode, where we find the car with Janice's body in it. We also get to see the actual shot or the shooting that took place. We actually get to see that. We kind of saw it at the end of the, of the season, the previous season, but we basically saw, but like two flashbangs. But in this case, uh, we kind of see the act itself. And the impetus for this is that Barry and Sally are kind of going through the scene. Uh, Gene is not thrilled with what he's seeing. It he looks very bored, Barry goes to a very dark place as uh, we see Barry shooting Janice for the first time. He brings a new kind of energy and uh, basically does his best acting. And he is able to successfully uh, choke Sally in, with, in a consensual way, not choking her in a bad way uh, for the purposes of the scene. And uh, it turns out really, really well. And Sally's agent is in the back. And uh, Lindsay says how impressed she is. So uh, a lot going on, but uh, but a very good moment for Barry's acting, but also for Sally successfully uh, kind of putting forth her scene and now apparently ready to tell her truth.
1: One of my favorite scenes in the entire series is Barry going to that dark place and finding where he needs to. One thing I'm also glad they didn't do was my concern was they were going to get to the point where Barry choked her out for real on the set. Um, and you almost think that here that it happens, but it just turned out to be really amazing acting by Sally here. And yeah, it just goes to show how interplay is so important in acting and how Sally got to do this. And it's so great that her agent was there to see it and see like, now I know what potential you have. Cause earlier she was telling her like, why are you putting so much work into this theater thing? That's not real work. You need to be focusing on auditions and this, that, and the other. But then she gets to see this and really see what she's capable of. So Hopefully that speaks highly to her future as an actress as well. Uh, but yeah, this everything about this made this one of my favorite things to watch in the entire series
0: for Hank's crew. It's go time as uh, they are ready to go after uh, the Burmese, but unfortunately Esther and her crew, uh, they have gotten the jump because they have captured the army with the help of crystal and the fucking accordion player who we have not talked about, but this is our time. Kevin, The accordion player sold them out.
1: And even Hank can't believe that the accordion player sold them out. The one who was at the site to play the celebratory song and got told off because he was too late. He ratted them out to the Bolivians. You never expect the accordion player, Jerome.
0: My favorite. So the accordion player is absolutely hilarious. The thing that I love so much is that when he gets shot in the season finale, the fact that the accordion makes one last little noise, that that made me laugh for like two minutes.
1: And he plays a little funeral march at the end of the episode. Oh, my God, it's so
0: good. Oh, Great. It's, it's just I, I, I want an entire episode about the accordion player.
1: That's that's your dream. Episode five was an episode <laughs> all about the accordion player
0: it's the accordion player and his story and fuchs in the woods.
1: That's what we need. Like the, um, the Kim spinoff YouTube series that they did for better call Saul with her law tips. We need that for the accordion player.
0: Uh, as well as, uh, we get gene, uh, being stood up at the restaurant by his son and fuchs is watching him. So, uh, there's very clearly, uh, something that is going to go on between fuchs and gene. They have, so we have not gotten a lot of Steven root and, henry winkler together and uh that's the best part about episode seven is that we can finally get these two actors together and uh, i like the fact that we didn't get them together right away because why would you but uh they spend a lot of their time together in episode seven and uh that of course creates a lot of tension between uh barry and fuchs
1: yeah that's a big moment when when you see fuchs looking at gene from behind the restaurant you're like "Uh uh-oh What is he going to do? Is he going to kill him? Is he going to give up Barry? Is he going to give up Janice? Like what, what is the ultimate end plan in Fuchs's mind for Gene? And it's, it's a, it's, it's troubling. It it makes you feel bad and makes you think something bad is about to happen. And it, it certainly is.
0: Sally, at the beginning of Episode 7, is meeting with her agents, and they want to put her in a room with a very important producer. Meanwhile, Barry is waiting in the lobby, and Barry gets offered the opportunity to audition for a Jay Roach movie. Uh, Jay Roach is a real director. Jay Roach is probably best known for directing the Austin Powers trilogy, but he has gone on to direct such movies as Bombshell as well. So he is definitely someone that could plausibly be in this universe, and he is, uh, he is a real person. And uh, we actually will get to see him later on in the episode. That is the real uh, Jay Roach. And so, so Barry, of course, has this great opportunity, and he goes to talk with Gene, Gene being his mentor. Um, and because Barry essentially says the title of the movie, uh, Gene says, quote-unquote, they can't cut that. And uh, this is uh, this is a big deal for Barry as he is going to get to audition for a real uh, what it seems like kind of an Adam Sandler ish like Netflix comedy. That's how it comes across to me.
1: Yeah, it it definitely feels that way. And lest we forget, Jay Roach also directed Trumbo with uh, Brian Cranston. So a bit of a a bit of a tie into our shows, even if it takes a little bit of a leap there. But I also think it's hilarious that Sally's been working her ass off in the theater to get anything to get scraps to finally get her her agenting there gene has this great theater company but in the real world he's getting background roles or even just getting auditions for those roles but not getting the roles barry is standing in a lobby and just happens to be the right height and he gets an audition for a lead in a comedy movie That just seems to also probably speak to some real-life L.A. experiences as well.
0: You know, it's definitely one of those things that feels almost a little bit too real in a way. So I I very much appreciated that they went there, and it feels very plausible. And we kind of get Sally going through her frustrations in a way, and uh, we could talk about those frustrations and kind of what she is doing in a few minutes. But let's talk about... Uh, The fact that she does get picked on, she gets to play a lead. Unfortunately, she is a lead in a, in a show or a movie that what amounts to a revenge porn scenario. That's what she calls it. And uh, even the, um, even the tagline for the show is it's that time of the month for revenge. And Sally passes on it. And uh, the note that I made about this producer, whose name is Aaron Ryan, there are a number of producers it could be based off of, but Kevin, Aaron Ryan is the type of person who would be getting an expose written about him in 2021 for his abusive practices.
1: Yeah, definitely. And Sally and, and this, uh, I mean, first we have the guy who wants to fuck her in season one. Now we have the one who can't see past very shallow on, on the surface roles for her. Even if it's a lead, it's something that she hears and is just like not excited about, doesn't want to be talked into. And when she passes, even her agents think she's insane. And it's it's her realizing again that she wants to do something she can be proud of, something that maybe has a little more meat on the bones, a little more art to it. And so I say good for her for for passing on the roles. But again, it's one of those instances where it's like, okay, if you're going to pass on these certain things, are your agents really going to be behind you, how many of these roles are are going to come up? So I say good for her for for taking that chance and saying no to this person, even though everybody else in her life seems to think it was a mistake.
0: And we get Gene and Barry working out this audition even more. And it is mentioned that uh, Barry is going to be auditioning for Alison Jones. Allison Jones, Kevin, uh, do you know who Allison Jones is? I, I think I talked about her on a previous podcast with, with Brian. I don't think I was talking about her with you,
1: though. I don't think we've talked about her, but I do know that she's like – the, the name I most associated with was freaks and geeks as like that being, I think she won an Emmy even for that. And then of course that goes to undeclared both Judd Apatow properties and a bunch of other stuff pre and post that like fresh Prince, uh, Brooklyn nine, nine parks and rec curb good place. So there's that tie in there too. I think even maybe the office she was in for. So yeah, she is a, a one hell of a, 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 a casting director with all those uh, shows and more under her, her belt.
0: You know, it's one of those things. Even though Freaks and Geeks was not necessarily a successful show, it only went one season, thirteen episodes. She could have retired off of that and just been like, "That is my masterwork. I am now done and retired." Like putting that cast together alone, like that is that is that is Hall of Fame worthy. So, uh, she does get a brief cameo uh, in this episode, as a matter of fact, and it was it was good to see because even though. She's kind of behind the scenes. She probably doesn't get the credit she deserves. And she has probably had a tremendous impact on the shows and movies that we all watch on a consistent basis.
1: 100%. And she doesn't seem like somebody who, even though that's the case, is like, Hey, look at me. Give me credit for this. I I don't get that impression from Alison Jones at all, which just makes me like her even more. And it's great to see that she does get some face time with Jay Roach here. I have to imagine that like that scene for Sally was like right in name of director and casting director. We can get in for this show here. And they got Jay Roach and Alison Jones. and I think that's a great and very realistic type of that Barry would just get plucked to be put into. I don't think like a Scorsese or someone like that, that would have been the case. But for a comedy movie like this, where they literally just need someone who's taller than the other person on the poster, that's that feels perfect and very Hollywood,
0: man. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I think this episode also has Sally's finest moment as uh, she talks about kind of being real or running lines with Barry. And she gives this monologue, and in this monologue, you see a gamut of emotions. You not only see jealousy, which I think is a huge part of it, but I think you see the anxiety, you see the happiness, because one of the things that she mentions, she does mention the fact that she is jealous of Barry, but she also goes on to say that she's happy for him as well, and I think that is really important, that you don't just feel one thing all the time towards somebody, or there is a conflict, but... I, I, it feels real, like it feels like you can be both things, especially in acting. I can imagine like you are happy for your friends when they do well, but you're also kind of jealous because they're getting opportunities that maybe you're not getting. So this is a monologue that I think is very nuanced in the way that Sally kind of comes across. And I, I think that just having to get this in however many takes it took, I can't even imagine because she is just... It's not just that she's emotional, but it's that there are so many emotions that are boiling up in this monologue. And it's uh, it's really great, Uh, a really great scene, a really great showcase. And the irony is that I can imagine someone using this monologue for an audition, which is ironic given the show this what the show is about.
1: I think about that all the time with some of these scenes where it's like weird to be like this show that's acting, that's about aspiring actors and how good those scenes are. And yeah, it was a great monologue from her. And I think there's also a little bit of truth in there about like, I'm jealous of you, but happy for you. But do I have the right to be jealous because I just got offered this great role and I turned it down and that may cause me a representation. So it's so many emotions in there at once that has to be so hard to, uh, to process, but I don't blame her for being, Jealous or even a little mad at Barry for being like you just started this and you could be casting this lead for this comedy and I've been busting my hump and all I get offered is this TV show that's so not nuanced in any way shape or form and I feel like lesser than and yeah it's it's a lot and I'm glad that Sally is able to put that truth out there and let Barry feel that and Barry doesn't process it the best way, but I feel like just getting it off your chest is has to be very therapeutic for Sally.
0: Absolutely, and uh, let's talk about Hank and the uh, the Chechnians as they are they are zip tied, they're in a bus, and uh, they're about to be burned alive. And Hank is also monologuing, but his monologue is not nearly as powerful as the uh, the other Chechnians are breaking loose. They are escaping the bus. I think something that this show does very well, and it's something that could get very easily lost, is not just the way they shoot comedy, but the way they shoot action is really good. And the fact that you can have a geography, you have a sense of where of where everybody's at. I love the fact that they have they've almost become hyper competent at what they're doing. In the way that they escape and they basically murder everyone and they take over, it's uh, it's fantastic. I uh, I really love this scene both because. The fact that Hank is kind of very depressed and uh, kind of monologuing, but he also talks about after the fact getting everyone Ubers, which also tickled me uh, to no end. And they, of course, kill the accordion player, which R.I.P. Accordion player, you will be missed.
1: You really had uh, a lot of feelings about this accordion player. I didn't realize. I mean,
0: you know, it's uh, he's a really important man. I mean, music is uh, music brings a lot of joy to our lives.
1: I guess that's true. But yeah, I love that he's monologuing. Nobody's listening. They all escape, but they don't bother to help him out till after the fact and the the, the bus is set on fire and he's there and he's very calm about it uh, and, and is a passing out for the smoke. And then, yeah, he's going to do what leaders do and get them all Ubers right when he gets enough bars to do so.
0: Yes, that is uh, that is perfect. And so Lindsay, who is actually being a very helpful agent for Sally has said that she is going to bring in some industry professionals uh, for the audience and they are going to go to a different and bigger theater. Um, and <laughs> I love the fact that everybody is so impressed that the, seat, that the theater holds 400 people. Just a running gag that goes through this episode and the next episode that everyone is so impressed by the lights and the seats, especially Barry. It, uh, love it. Love it. Just tremendously amusing to me.
1: Yeah, I don't really know what else to expand upon there, but yes, it was very good, very amusing.
0: Uh, So then we go to the actual audition, and hey, it is the real Jay Roach and Allison Jones uh, sitting there as Barry is auditioning, but just before the audition takes place, he gets a phone call as uh, as Gene and Fuchs are together, and uh, they are going deep into the woods to uh, find and quote-unquote discover Janice's car for the first time, even though uh, Fuchs has very clearly found it, and so Barry is very frustrated. He completely underplays the audition, but because it's Hollywood and because people are weird, they think that this is a choice that he is making, and uh, Jay Roach seems to be impressed, so it is it is unclear whether he's actually going to get the role or not, but apparently that still seems to be a lingering possibility uh, based on what happens. Barry is overall very concerned about what's going on, so he drives all the way out into the woods to fight because he knows uh, where everyone is. So of course he's going to be able to find it uh, much easier. But as he is, uh, he is coming. We also hear some sirens because Fuchs has called the police and said that Gene uh, is in fact the one that admitted to killing uh, Janice. And as Fuchs is running away, he whispers something into Jean's ear. We don't know what he has whispered. We will find out in the next episode. Uh, but Janice is there. She is dead, and uh, Gene now knows officially where she is dead, and also her location. And uh, uh, trouble is a brewing for this situation. Oh yeah, I mean
1: it's really terrifying when you realize Fuchs is with Gene, and they're going to the house, and then Fuchs gets on the phone with Barry, and he realizes what's up, and it's all that's in his head during his audition that he, not intentionally whiffs, but like, how can you do? your best work in that situation. And I do love that. Like you said, it's not clear whether he gets it or not, or he's, because he's not told no, but when he leaves, Allison Jones, is like, what was his name again? Barry block. And uh, what was his height again? It's like, that's all they care about is how tall he is. And that's so funny. And again, so very Hollywood, it feels like. So, yeah, uh, it's, it's this great juxtaposition of like Barry trying to juggle his emotions and fear of what Fuchs is going to do. To Gene or exposed to Gene and then having to suffer through this audition and then immediately hightail it up into the woods. It's a very tense uh, way for this episode to conclude.
0: So episode eight, I mean, there's just so much going on. And I think we, we could start off, of course, with uh, with Fuchs not being able to pull the, tr- being able to pull the trigger on Gene as the sirens uh, can be heard. We again see him uh, whispering something into Gene's ear. Uh, Gene falls to his knees and is almost catatonic for the rest of the episode. He has very little, very few lines of dialogue throughout the rest here. And uh, Barry being interviewed. Detective May, we have not really talked about her, but she was a key part of this season, especially in some of these interrogation scenes. Uh, Detective May is very bad at her job.
1: She's very amusing to watch, but really not a good detective we don't really know much more about her because she only has a few scenes and she's definitely there to be a little bit like
0: i mean bum- she wanted to go to cleveland for god's sake how good <laughs> how good she can she be
1: true true but i do love that she's like talking to loach in the first few episodes like yeah it's harder with you and your wife but at least you didn't have kids oh shit you did have a kid like something about that just really cracks me up but for her also when barry's like can i go now it's like oh no we're, we're keeping gene because we think he killed his girlfriend." Anyways. Like just no I thought, I, bed, no bedside manner to her whatsoever.
0: Well, it's also one of those things where they say there's no evidence to suggest that there was, because Fuchs is Fuchs is kind of playing the role of a, a fake private detective, and they said there's no evidence to suggest a third person was there. And I was like, really? Because he seemed pretty prominent. You're telling me there are no footprints? Like he ran away pretty sloppily. Like I just it 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 was really strange and. I, I guess if the theme and the purpose of the show is to say how incompetent police are, I guess this kind of works. But it uh, it it stretched a little bit of cre- it stretched credibility a little bit
1: for me. And you think they would have found the pin in there earlier? Like there wouldn't even be this thing with Gene if they had discovered that earlier. On, you know what I mean? Like I know there was the phone call and stuff, but very very peculiar this whole setup.
0: Yeah. So the cops do indeed think that Gene has committed the murder. Uh, Barry ca- calls Fuchs and, and says that he is a dead man. Barry is f- very clearly not in a good space, but Hank is in a good and new space as he has gotten them a new house. They go through all the doors and poor Hank is left alone. And Kevin, this, uh, this, this new house seems perfect uh, for the Chechny as says, uh, they seem really ready to settle down. There's a lot of room. This is, a, this is a great potential stash house, Kevin. I can't see what could go wrong.
1: I don't see anything that go wrong either. And I couldn't help but think uh, back to Better Call Saul when the Germans come to do the job and they bring them to this uh, new house where they're all going to live. And all of them are just concerned with something else and not listening to Hank. It made, it made Mike – it reminded me of Mike or trying to – keep all the troops together and bark orders, but they're all kind of, I don't want to say not taking him seriously necessarily, but they're all kind of focused on their own other things.
0: Now I just want to see a show where Mike Herman Trout takes Hank under his wing. Wouldn't that be something? I mean, they're both bald.
1: That's pretty much the only thing they have in common aside from just, uh, I guess both have killed people.
0: I mean, how entertaining would it be to have Hank and Mike in the same scenes together?
1: I'm thinking of just the amount of times Hank would have handed, uh, or shown, hank a piece of paper that just says don't
0: <laughs> just like tweeting right
1: don't yeah. heard heard you were thinking about getting into a relationship with the bolivians
0: <laughs> uh so apparently hank also is going to be replaced as a uh, somebody above him named batir which i'm sure amused you to know and the fact that there was a character named batir i was gonna ask did your uh word auto try to autocorrect uh, something else Yes, uh, it it may or may not have done that. I will neither uh, confirm nor deny. Uh, Hank is going to be sent back to Chechnya, and I would imagine he is not going back to Chechnya for a vacation.
1: No, I I certainly would not think so.
0: Uh, So, Barry gets to the new theater that has 400 seats, and he is overly impressed by this. So, this is what, so how they frame this is in order to get industry professionals there they call it a quote-unquote diversity showcase so everyone would be afraid to not RSVP that is the kind of thing that is just it's so perfect because of course hollywood people they don't actually care about diversity but if you if you try to guilt them into pretending about care, caring about it then they'll absolutely do it just beautiful beautiful way to get people to show up and uh i really like it
1: i would say you took the words right out of my mouth is that Nobody really cares about being diverse. They just care about the optics of them not attending something that is for diversity. That's it. That, and it uh, just chef's kiss. Perfect, perfect, perfect Hollywood. It feels like.
0: I also like that, uh, that Sally, uh, it, Sally's yelling at Nick to be louder at the vomiting. That was also a really good side note <laughs>
1: <laughs> as she's all, all she's very tense about the whole evening. Yes.
0: Oh man. Just, uh, just some great Los Angeles humor in this, uh, uh so we get the Chechen gang uh as they are as they are kind of preparing for what is to come uh, Fuchs says that he needs an army uh and barry finds out that gene has been arrested and calls Fuchs and uh is once again uh just being very f- threatening and uh so we get to the night of the uh of the the big the big event with all with everyone there we see we see some of the other stories and kevin what is my note
1: uh, Sasha telling her her story and not being successful
0: yes and uh, all the stories are generally terrible
1: <laughs> just reading that like and thinking about it like the oh my god the one actor is trying to tell like the story about being like I was four, got 10 at the store or like at age six like um, I want to like curl under my desk into a ball just thinking about the the awkwardness of those scenes
0: can you imagine being an industry professional or being anywhere involved in this business? The shit that you have to see like monologues and whatnot. Like I just, I can't even imagine being a part of it.
1: The money better be as good as it seems to have to endure that stuff.
0: And the drugs can't forget the drugs.
1: Can't forget the drugs, but that's exactly what I was thinking watching this. Like all these industry professionals, I was like, think about like, this is their evening. Like, and this is part of their work. And it's like, just think about, the families they could be with or the actual successful stuff they could be doing. And instead they have to sit through this BS because of the optics of not going to a diversity event. What a world. and
0: And there's also the possibility, like there might be one great story out of, you know, let's say they're like 10 or 15, like, maybe 12 to 13 of them are going to be utter trash. One of them's going to be okay. But like, maybe you discover like one person who is just going to go on to be the most successful actor that's ever been. So that's, that's literally what you're sitting there for. You are sitting in the possibility that you are going to see like one great story.
1: Right. The, the FOMO of, Oh, if I don't go, what if I miss out on this great person, another agency or whatever scoops them up.
0: Uh, So we, uh, we kind of go back as, uh, as Hank, And Hank and Fuchs are talking. Hank calls Fuchs and Barry Fleetwood Mac, which is, it feels just dated enough, but it also feels kind of plausible, too. Just uh, really great stuff. Uh, So Cristobal and his gang arrive as Fuchs comes out to talk to them. Fuchs brings Cristobal and Hank together. And uh, I guess here we are seeing kind of the intelligence and what Fuchs is able to bring to the table. Fuchs is not, Fuchs is a talker. He's kind of a bullshitter. And that's the thing that that makes him so great. And in a way, he's kind of the Saul of this universe because he's so good at kind of weaseling his way. Probably should have been dead a million times on this show, but keeps surviving because he's able to wait. He's able to talk his way out of things.
1: That's exactly what I was about to say. It's like, it's surprising he's still alive, but he also seems like, He's that person who can talk his way out of a lot of things and also talk himself into a lot of things with being friendly enough with the Chechnyans and the Bolivian relationship so they won't kill him, even though they probably rightfully should. He, he just has that way about him of getting on everybody's good side and being trustworthy and all this stuff, even though deep down he's definitely not.
0: So we uh, we go back to the theater and uh, Sally is very nervous and Barry really isn't speaking. He's got a lot on his mind, as you would imagine, uh, and it comes to where sla- Sally just slaps Barry in the face. And uh, Kevin, I don't know about you, but there was definitely a moment of, oh, shit. Shit is about to get real. <laughs> so we uh, the scene starts, and we we stay with Barry. It, the focus is not on Sally. But then Sally goes completely off script, tells Barry off. Barry walks away. And basically, Sally decides not to tell her truth. Uh, but she she portrays the lie she portrays the lie of actually standing up to Sam and after the fact she is very guilty Lindsay rightfully apologizes for kind of putting Sally in this situation but the other people at the agency call Sally brave for what she has done and even random members of the audience are walking up to her and saying that she is a very inspiring human being so now Berrien and Sally are both caught up in their own lies Barry's is obviously much more serious, but like Sally now has to kind of put carry forth her lie and not her truth at this point. So uh, it's it's an amazing payoff because I think you're thinking, especially after the slap, it's like, oh, boy, what's going to happen? Like, is he actually going to choke her? But it it very much just gets turned on its ear. And now. And now Sally is the one that's carrying her own lie.
1: Yeah, I love that scene in the lobby when it's her and her agent just looking at each other and and both of them look like very kind of like sad about what's going on, even though she's has these people surrounding her that can't wait to heap her with praise for her performance and her bravery and uh, all this other stuff. And it just feels very hollow. And it's such and again, I think that's what it's a it's a putting a, a lens on Hollywood where like. We don't want honesty. We don't want your truth. We want you to be what we think sells and what resonates with people most of all. And that's what you're going to have to be to be successful. And I think this is going to put Sally at a crossroads going into season three and going forward.
0: So Gene does get released. He is free to go, but he kind of remains in this catatonic state. Barry is able to contact his son on the phone. The police finally discovered the Chechnyan pin found in the trunk so now they've assumed that the Chechnians are the ones uh, that have killed Janice. And how is this all going to pay off? Well, Kevin, Barry snaps. And when Barry snaps, people die. Barry, after not killing anyone this entire season, he lays waste to a lot of people. So he walks in the room, immediately shoots Esther in the face with the bullet that we saw in Episode 1. Goes fucking wild. He kills everyone, including all of the poor Czczans that he trained, and uh, this is a great—it's—it's it's such a well-executed action scene. Fuchs is trying to escape because that—that's—that's that's really who Barry wants to kill. But Fuchs is trying to escape the Chechians. They basically steal him and capture him. I don't know—are they using him as like a bargaining chip? That's—that's kind of how it came across to me.
1: Possibly—it's—it's uh, it's never explicitly stated, but I do think bargaining chip is a really good thing to assume.
0: I also love the fact that that nobody can kick a door in properly on this show. And Barry does it at one point and he only kicks the bottom part of a door. That <laughs> right. Also, that was also great.
1: I bet it's way harder than it looks in the movies and stuff. And so I'm glad there's some reality to that here. Like Fuchs does not seem that type of person who could kick in a door with ease.
0: Uh, so the bullet that's sent to Hank was used on Esther, of course, Batir arrives and Kevin, you know, it. Hank is basically the only one alive because he hit himself <laughs> properly. <laughs> I don't know how much they're going to be able to get away with this though. Yeah. It feels like, it feels like, like the rubber has to meet the road with Hank in season three. I feel like
1: we'll see. I mean, Hank's a, a, a man of mystery. Like that, like he's kind of laughing with the, with Batir and then goes back into hiding. Cause who knows how Batir is going to react to seeing all this stuff, but good stuff with the bullet, real good stuff with the pin. That's very quick thinking by Barry to use the pin that says his debt has been paid by the Chechnyans and throw it in the trunk to give, that connection there. So I talk about how I think the best Hank is when he's tied to Barry. How do we keep him tied together? Here's how you keep him tied together going
0: forward. So we end the season and the episode with Gene flashing back to his various moments with Janice. Is just kind of lying lying in bed after kind of what has to be a, a traumatic period of time, and that is when we hear what Fuchs whispered to him, Kevin, which was
1: Barry Berkman did this.
0: So, yeah, and it's a a very powerful moment, and he sits up and says, oh, my God. Now, this could go in a lot of directions. On the surface, it might seem very obvious, so Gene's going to think that Barry did this, but, like, there's no evidence to suggest it, so this could go in a lot of different ways, and it's pretty remarkable. This episode aired two years ago. We have not had a third season of Barry, so this is a big cliffhanger that we are going to need to address Whenever season three comes back, hopefully in the fall or the spring of 2022.
1: Yeah, it kills me that this aired in March 2019 and I was dying for season three and damn COVID and all that stuff. We're we're still sitting here waiting for a, for a payoff to this. So I know a lot of other HBO shows had been put on pause for that and for the best, I, I would say. But man, I rewatching this made me. Just want another a season three so badly, even more so than I did, because, you know, enough time had passed where I hadn't had him on the top of my mind. But now that we rewatched it uh, for the website, it's it's making me very itchy to see the payoff to to all this stuff and what can come next. Because you're right. I don't think it's just an immediate. He believes that Barry did it. And that's that. We'll see if maybe when we start things, Barry's a successful actor in comedy. Maybe Sally's a successful actor and miser- actress in miserable. We'll see how Hank and Batir work out. But there's so many things that I'm so curious to see how they're going to work out in season three. And pres- like you, presumably they're they're maybe going to begin. Do we know anything about the shooting itself? I know the the writing's been done. Do we know anything about producing, shooting any of that stuff?
0: I think season three might be in production, but we'll uh, we'll see. I mean, I would have to imagine that a lot of shows. That were postponed are actually back in production, like Better Call Saul season three is in production. Succession is in production. So I, I have to imagine that some of these shows are going back. And I know that this show is is a big deal. You want to be in the Bill Hader business. And um, yeah, and HBO also wants content desperately. So I have to believe that this is a show that's going to be one of their one of their priorities, I would imagine, especially given they don't really have a lot of other comedies. I think Insecure, Insecure is going into its final season, so I imagine this is a big deal, and it's uh, with good reason. I think season one was good. I, I think season two was even better, just because of the way that they were able to kind of dig into the characters. I like the fact that... That they didn't shoehorn in new characters, but they really just dug in on Sally and Gene especially, but even Fuchs to an extent. We got a lot more time with Fuchs and Hank and Barry, so uh, just some really good stuff. And and the ancillary character- characters that were added seemed to have a purpose, and they were not focal points of the season. Like I'm thinking specifically of Leo, who is Gene's son, but who only was in a couple of scenes.
1: Right. So there can be a lot with that, too, because the the end of the season, Barry is on the phone with Leo checking on him. And he says, you know, hey, can you tell your dad something? Tell him he was right all along. And I do think people can change. So I think we're going to see Leo and him uh, grow closer, hopefully in season three going forward. I want that for for Gene and I want that for Leo, too. Um, And in terms of comedies on HBO, I haven't seen the first season yet, but I know Righteous Gemstones was very well received and they were two episodes in the shooting when COVID shut everything down. So I think that'll be a big thing to come back to as well when when things get back up and running for HBO.
0: For sure. So, Kevin, any final thoughts on season two? I know that we both really liked it. I know that we are both anxious for a season three, too.
1: I think this ended very strong. There was some stuff in the middle that I maybe thought like the Chechny and Bolivian stuff wasn't doing it for me. Um, but I think they, they tied things up so well, and they left me with so many things that I'm really excited to see in season three. And especially now, seeing how well they handled things from season one going into season two, it makes me even more excited because I have a lot of faith that they're going to do a lot of good with the characters we've seen. And if anybody gets introduced, it's only going to be because it's critical, not just to do it for the sake of doing it. So, And it seems like, again, Bill Hader and Alec Berg are putting a lot of care and attention and time into the show. Especially Bill Hader having uh, having so many roles in it, so I have a lot of faith. It's going to be great. I'm excited. We covered it for this podcast here, and I'm very excited for season three. Maybe not as much as Better Call Saul season st- six, but still very excited.
0: Yeah. So we will we will return to talking about Barry whenever season three ends, and of course when Better Call Saul season six airs. I believe our plan is we are going to do two episodes one after the first half of the season and then once the season is over we will do kind of a big finale uh, because that's 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 our longest miniseries it's going to be i think 13 episodes
1: yeah and it's as we've seen with breaking bad and all this stuff it's just way too dense to cover i think all of it in one episode i think doing it in two episodes gives us a little more room to talk about things that we maybe would have glossed over and i think for as big a season it is and kind of maybe being the end of our breaking bad journey. I think that that's the right move
0: for sure. But what are we going to do next month, Kevin Ford? We are going to do something very special. Why don't you tell folks what we're going to do? We were going to, we were originally going to do this before we talked about Barry, but we decided to cover Barry first, but now we are not postponing this anymore. Kevin, what are we doing?
1: So something that I know that you and I have sort of wanted to do because it's, I would say it's my favorite show ever. At least the, the seasons I grew up with was talking about the Simpsons and the Simpsons isn't a small show. It's something that there's been lots of podcasts about lots of, um, you know, episode by episode takes of it. Uh, it's one of those rare shows where every single episode on the DVDs and stuff has commentary on it. You know, most seasons only have commentary on one or two episodes. So, and there's been books and all these other things discussing the Simpsons. So it's not, there's no new stones, I think, or to to uncover or, or turn here to talk about here. So instead, Jerome and I, just for one episode of The Simpsons, are going to discuss our top 10 episodes each. I think that's sort of our way to kind of be our love letter to The Simpsons, get it all out there in one episode, and, and put our little bit of unique spin on it, because again... I don't think we're going to uncover any hidden gems that maybe haven't already been discussed elsewhere or what have you. And I also think going episode by episode would be quite the task, especially when it's a lot of it would really be just talking about, you know, recite us retelling you jokes already in the episodes there. So I think that's going to be our take there. And I'm probably going to cheat and have some honorable mentions, too. But that's going to be a lot of fun. I think you and I discussing our top 10 favorite Simpsons episodes in August.
0: Yeah, I'm very curious to see what the overlap is, because I think there are literally like a hundred episodes that could possibly be in the top ten.
1: It's remarkable. So my girlfriend has never seen The Simpsons, so we've been watching it together. And fortunately, she's loved it or else that would have been troublesome. But like we just finished season eight and I'm like, this is basically a greatest hits. Like it's like almost every episode could be in my top ten and it wouldn't be a shocker. It's really remarkable how good like that in season seven and before that are. And then season nine, you start getting into some trouble, but still it's pretty strong. But I think it's, you can really see where it starts to get into that. Like these are good episodes, but like you're really not in the top 10 area anymore. But this is a lot of discussions we'll have in the Simpsons episode, but that's going to be a lot of fun for us to just sort of have a more loose discussion of uh, one of our favorite TV shows ever.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, We are not going to uncover anything new. There are billions of Simpsons podcasts out there. And I think it's harder to talk about comedy because it's like, oh, this is funny. That's really all the analysis that you need. So that's why we have not covered a lot of comedies. Barry is more of a dramedy. So I think that's how we've been able to get away with it. But very excited to talk about The Simpsons. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. So uh, at K413 is where you can find Kevin and uh, make sure to go listen to all of his previous podcasts as uh, as you do and uh, make sure you go listen to uh, Superhero Pantheon and all of I, what I do for this website make sure you go check that out so for Kevin, my name is Jerome thank you so much for listening, we will talk to you again next month when we talk about The Simpsons
1: Hey Jerome, you shitbird want a little pie?